It's the truth. It's the truth. And it, culturally, you know, genetically, uh, economically, uh, we really do need to just maybe take the ego out a little bit and realize that um, we are stewards of an organism that is bigger than us and is uh, helpful to us. And if we don't approach it with some humility, uh, then it will be taken from us and it will go to this big corporate scare that everybody's afraid of or, you know, uh, uh, commercial agriculture will take it from you. So we need to just uh, step back and be a little bit more humble with this plant. Welcome to Oregon Rooted. I'm Higher Peaks. And this is Lady Sativa. You're listening to The Dirt Show. Where we bring you Oregon's cannabis culture. Welcome to The Dirt Show. I'm Higher Peaks. And this is Lady Sativa. And first off, I just want to let everybody know because of the lockdown, which apparently happened today in Oregon, uh, we are out of studio. So Mm -hmm. we've been trying to start for the last like few minutes, but we've got like, apparently no one's on lockdown here because there's a lot of freaking traffic out there. There's a lot of assholes still speeding down the road. Man, it's even worse than when it wasn't locked down. So anyway... They got to rev their engines louder. <laughs> so we apologize about that, but uh, we're, we're doing our part staying home. Uh, first thing is we have opened our Patreon. Yes. And so there's honestly, there's only a couple things on there right now, but I'm working every day to put content he's working out. working damn hard. While like, I'm working out of the house, he's working in the house. One thing is, is the Patreon is, you know, they, they don't make it easy to like put content up really. Um, and I'm still learning how to do that in terms of whether it's from my phone or from the computer, what you can or my can phone. do. You're trying to set it up so I can also do it. Yeah. But help you. <laughs> I got the stuff. So I'm putting it up daily and it's, it's building quick. Uh, but so if you go there, it's patreon.com slash organ rooted and we appreciate your support. I know there's been people out there that have talked about supporting us and wanting to, and, and how now you can, and now you can there. You'll find things like behind the scenes. Uh, we start at $2 and go up to 25 bucks. It's four tiers. It's two, five, 10 and 25. Yep. Basically, there's options of just jumping in, tipping us and getting some posts. You can even do one time. You can do um, donations. one time if you want. You yeah. can do... Um, yeah, you can get behind the scenes episode stuff. You can go as high as getting influenced on the show, you know, having influence on the show. fucking funny we are when we're not recording. <laughs> see, yeah, see a lot more private stuff. And then also on the higher, high tier, the VIP tier, you can uh, get some extra episodes each month and also some pretty personal behind the scenes stuff. So, uh, but we're filling that up. So go there uh, and support us there. We really appreciate it. And, um, yeah, I guess that's it for that. Right? Yeah. We're, we're, we're working on it. We're getting there. All right. So let's get started. Uh, let's talk about this, uh, whole 
COVID-19, COVID-19, the clover virus, as I've been mispronouncing <laughs> it. I got me some clover virus in my yard. It's just stuck with it now. It's now just got, the clovid. I got 19 species of clover in my yard. <laughs> it's supposed to be cro cover crop turned yep. into the dam. It covered everything. My cement, my sidewalk, my yard, clover 19, people. No, clover 19. Uh, so it's affecting. COVID. Did I say it again? You said clover again. <laughs> <laughs> the damn coronavirus. How's that? There you go. Old school. Uh, <laughs> so it's affecting Oregon huge. Like I said, as of today, we've got the lockdown, supposedly. Basically, the only thing that is keeping me happy is the fact that, you, you know, essentials includes exercise so we can walk around and hiking, hiking, uh, running, you know, exercise. Uh, you just have to stay be in places that you can be six feet away from everybody. So that really affects the dispensaries and because it's the same rules. And mm -hmm. so OLCC put out a, I don't know what they called it, a release, but saying that you guys had to follow the rules as yes. far as the social distancing. It said that you had to have some sort of designated person that can, you know, that oversaw that or some sort of person that I can read it to you, uh, that, um, was in charge of making sure all these things happened. Well, that would be Ron. <laughs> but we're just nominating him. <laughs> right now. He's in charge. He's general manager. He's just, in charge of it all. We just found it out. Yep. So, but I just that, nominated him personally. It allowed for curbside uh, or allows for curbside up to 150 feet curbside delivery as they they call it. And but that means that they'd have to be able to call it in. Mm -hmm. So there's going to have to be a menu and such. So I, some Which places, is a lot of work for a lot, a lot of places. And then getting all that stuff ready when you're already bud tending and you don't have the staff. So we have told people we don't, we, we don't have much that we can do at the moment because. Do you we, guys get calls? I had a call this morning that asked if I could bring something out to them. And I'm like, well, it, it's honestly not super busy right now. If you wanted to come in and have it, you know, have limited people right now would be the time to do it. But I'm not sure how we can do that because I was the only person on, which we have limited staff now. So we are not going to, you know, not everybody wants to come in where, and it's not going to be held against them for not coming in. But it's, I, you can only do so much when you have one person on the floor. Sure. And well, like I said, there's going to be places that are doing it and a lot of places that aren't. Yeah. Just it's just because it is a lot of work. Definitely a no sniff policy. I've already been yes. practically slapped for that, that was, one. That was last week. Actually, that rule was dropped that there is no smelling. We don't touch people's IDs. We also, there is a piece of paper that you're supposed to see that's like a don't give your, you know, keep out of reach of children. And uh, uh, if you're pregnant, don't use type thing. Um it, it may harm you, baby. Yeah. Anyway, so it, you, we have to see that. And uh, we're usually supposed to hand it to the customer that we just have on the counter so they can physically see. Um, we now today set up um, a line that you you got to give people six foot of distance. And now we're only allowed to have four people on the floor, uh, on the sales floor at a time. So, so you can leave six foot distance, six feet radius between everybody. So who gets to be up to the counter? <laughs> Them or you? <laughs> well, like it counter, seems like closer than six feet if you're both at the counter. It's about three feet from where the bud tender would stand, honestly. Right. But they would have to be halfway across the damn room. <laughs> Throw the money at me, please, sir. It's uh, they, some of them probably do want to. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure we want to throw no. it back, but 
Real, <laughs> patience is a virtue. <laughs> Real quick, want to cover, I've seen it on Facebook already. People are like, oh yeah, you can go out and buy like 32 ounces in a day if you got your card. No, you cannot. You can buy 24 ounces in a day. It went up from eight ounces to 24. And guess what people, your 32 ounces still runs out the next day. So you can't buy all 32 up in no, one day? No, you cannot. It is 24. And just so all you medical patients know, you need to give the dispensary time to have that ready for I'm you. sure. And <laughs> it's if we have it in stock. Yeah. Have you it, had people? We're, we're not going to have that in stock and ready for you to go right now. Well, I mean, sure. Have you had anybody even ask? Uh, we've had, I have had one person that said, so if I wanted to buy my full pound... Could I do that? And could you package that up for me? I'm like, I can't guarantee that um, when it comes to that. It's, it's, it's more difficult for us to be able to do. You would have to separate that into all sorts of different stuff. It would not be of one certain strain yeah. for sure. Oh, sure. You'd have and to. even then you'd buy us out and then of course we would do it. Of course we would because that's money. Money, money is money. But <laughs> at the same time, we like to be fair to everybody else when it comes to stuff. Absolutely. All right. Well, I just wanted to cover that out. So everybody was kind of clear on that stuff that just basically, basically just happened. They were kind of, like you said, had a couple rules out there, but with the lockdown from Cape Brown now, uh, that's what it is. Now, here's the deal. I mean, and this leads right into this. News. Is, this is in Oregon, as everybody knows, Oregon rooted. So who knows what everybody else's laws are that you have to do? Well, okay. So that leads us into the yeah. news here. So <laughs> Illinois, New Jersey, Ohio, Colorado, uh, Nevada, California, Pennsylvania, New Mexico, and Oregon have all deemed in some form or fashion that cannabis industry, whether it's dispensaries or access, uh, or even the, uh, processors, uh, facilities is essential. are essentials. So thank God. And I am really thankful for that because, um, I know that there's a ton of people that aren't working right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thankfully, you know, you can. So thankful to the cannabis industry. I'm thankful to everybody that can keep working. And I'm glad that these states see it as a medicine, essential medicine. Yes. Uh, otherwise, <laughs> they can get nasty out there. <laughs> the liquor Seriously. stores are still open. So if they find liquor stores. Yeah. Can they? I wonder if they can do curbside. I don't know if they can do that. I don't, I don't know, but I do know that they're still open because that was one of the things that the OLCC was going into debate about. And I don't find that essential, but okay. Well, no, I don't, I don't know that they do. Well, I suppose to alcoholics, that would be an essential one. The Drug Enforcement Administration issued a statement on its move to allow doctors to issue prescription for prescriptions for controlled substances to patients whom they have not examined in person during the coronavirus outbreak. Yes. And so what it says is the, they did an announcement. The DEA worked in consultation with the HHS to allow DEA registered practitioners to begin issuing prescriptions for controlled substances to patients for whom they have not conducted an in-person medical evaluation. Now there's just a couple things. One has to be a legitimate place, legitimate practice. Uh, <laughs> this has to be something that they can, you know, write a prescription for in their regular everyday practice. Yes. Uh, also the communication has to be audio and visual. So they have to be able to see you and hear you. I imagine that's zoom's going to be working hard. Right. 
Facebook Messenger. <laughs> Instagram Messenger, which we found out works great. Yeah. The, or or sure. call. Yeah. yeah. And I've been using Zoom and it's, it's been really good. Uh, so it has to be real time, two way, of course. And then they just have to be following the regular medical laws. So not too bad, but you know, shit. And that's straight on the DE website. Yeah. Or DIA, if you were uh, Spanish. If you're Espanol. Which I, st I don't understand. DIA. They don't use acronyms. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> We've been watching Narcos. Narcos. So hearing them say DIA when we're spelling out D-E-A is <laughs> yeah. really interesting. Really interesting. And that is exactly... <laughs> The people y'all should be mad about because he was doing over the speed limit. I tried to reintroduce that in there. <laughs> uh, the DEA also issued updated regulations to license more growers of marijuana for research. One big change, though, from the current system is that DEA itself would take ownership of all the cannabis and distribute it to the scientists. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, hey, you can grow sure. that, but it's our shit. It's ours. We can't grow it. <laughs> we want some of that 28%. We can't get it over 14. Right. <laughs> Jumping down to science and health, a review concluded that combination of cannabinoids with opioids has been shown now to reduce opioid doses and may be able to produce long-term analgesic effects while preventing the opioid analgesic tolerance. Sounds like they're making a cocktail. Me. Syner like synergistic it. effect but hey it sounds good to me i mean if it's gonna work you're getting that less dose of that opioid maybe it comes down easier too i must say i'm glad you read that one because i was getting anxiety about that word <laughs> anal jessic <laughs> anal jessic <laughs> oh my gosh the center for disease control and prevention reported that u.s opioid overdose deaths declined two percent from 2017 to 18 that's awesome you know it's from cannibal cannibal cannibals it's from cannibals oh my God. <laughs> from cannabis legalization nope it's from cannibals i have not smoked before this show. <laughs> uh, comedian it, yeah and i think people have seen this one already yes, tweeted yes. and I, it's all over facebook but and i gotta stuff. throw it in there sure. too chelsea handler tweeted Imagine being incarcerated for a marijuana-related offense and then seeing it deemed essential business. That is <laughs> fucked up. Well, it's true. It's really true. <laughs> but there's there's a lot of that hypocrisy going on between legalization and states that aren't legal. Fed, it's yeah, it's terrible. It's, it's awful. It really is. Uh, just to just to hit a couple of other interesting science and health, a study of rats suggested that THC may be more beneficial than CBD for reducing inflammatory pain and that THC maintains its efficacy with short term treatment in both sexes and does not induce immune activation. Not sure what immune activation is, but I think most of the stone or pothead medical people out there know that THC is is, you know, we've talked about it. Yeah. The ratio one to one THC is much more effective than just CBD alone. CBD we know is good for reducing inflammatory pain mm -hmm. in general. But I think overall, if you can consume THC in some form that right one to one. Yep. Also, I just want to mention this was strange. A study concluded that a single THC administration induces psychotic negative and other psychiatric symptoms with larger doses, larger effect sizes. And 
that there is no consistent evidence that CBD induces symptoms or moderates the effects of THC, which is interesting because people have been saying CBD will help you, uh, you know, help the anxiety from, from too much THC or, Mm -hmm. or if you want to come down or whatever, this study here showed otherwise. (laughs) And that study came from the Lancet psychiatric Institute. You can look them up. The whole summary is on their website. Um, But I do got to say that's not true for everybody. Well, and these are, again, small studies and they're very limited studies. Yeah. Because of no federal funding and and not federally legal. All right. So we brought on Esteban from Hermetic Genetics. Esteban. He's such a cool guy. He's he's so friggin' smart. Uh, We sat down and talked for a good hour in studio. Gotta love him and his wife sweetheart yeah and he's yeah he's been well they've been kicking it around here well we met him in 2015 one of the very first cannabis related things i went to yes it was the women's women grow women grow and Um, he was doing the table and i met him his wife and his mom both at the first one right and uh he was in terms of how I understand it, you know, he, he was coming on the scene, the rec scene at that time, mm-hmm. just starting things. And um, now he was on episode 10, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, one of our very first interviews, actually. But uh, he's back on and we talk about his journey getting here and the years that's been rack and even, you know, his root beer float, which is known for. Yep. Uh, a few farms, a couple farms have grown the root beer float and have put it to the shelf. Uh, I've we've smoked it. Good stuff and good guy. Really enjoyed sitting down and talking to him. And as you know, lately I've been starting to get deeper into these people and, you know, learning more about them. Especially if they're return offenders. <laughs> Especially if they're return Absolutely. We're going to dig. We're, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to ask the tough questions. <laughs> no, people have responded really well with that. They really want to have some, you know, intimacy with these people and the products that they're buying. They want to know who they're buying from and, and what kind of, you know, what, what are the feels, mm-hmm. right? And that's important. Absolutely. When they say know your grower, know your processor, know your farm, know your dispensary, um, this is one way to know them mm-hmm. is when they come on and talk. Hell yeah. So we're proud to have them. Uh, Hermetic Genetics, we hope you enjoy the show. Oregon love. Oregon love. Stay rooted. All right, I'm sitting down with Esteban Duarte, the man behind Hermetic Genetics. Now, you've been around since 2015, and you were actually one of our first episodes, uh, and you've come really far. Uh, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, thanks for having me back as well. You have as you've you've come very far as well, and I appreciate you having me back here. Uh, yeah, no, that was good. It was good. Um, so starting in 2015, you, now you started in Nevada. Was that where you came from? Uh, well, I mean, no, I, I cut my teeth in Oregon. Okay. Um, you know, yeah, I, I've been breeding and growing in Oregon since 99, uh, you know, in, in the gray area. Right. And then, uh, you know, when the medical market, uh, kind of plateaued before technical dispensaries and licensing and stuff, uh, I went to LA and, uh, kind of got out of it for a little bit, you know, made a bunch of seed, put it in the bank and just kind of, you know, uh, step back for a minute. Um, 
while doing that, um, me and uh, my my partner, Sarah, we went to Egypt and we ended up meeting a group of doctors from Vegas who were very forward about their medical marijuana licensing. And, you know, we got to talking and they I told them about my experience and they hired me to write their cultivation components and to vet uh, their consultants that they had. And it made me aware of what regulation was about to look like, you know, cause I kind of, you know, wasn't about it. If I, if I could choose, I would have chose decriminalization, Regula- regulation, legalization, these things come with caveats, right? You know, it's not blueberries, roses or whatever, you know, it's, it's something else. They really, the whole regulated like alcohol thing was kind of a problem for me, but this is what happened. And uh, I engaged with it to see what, which way it was going to go. And after working in Nevada, <clears throat> which, you know, was fruitful, uh, they only handed out 52 licenses at the time. We got eight of those 52, two on the strip. And, uh, you know, I really got my feet wet. Um, and then right after that, right after it was completed, I got hit up from my people in Oregon saying they're doing something similar. You know, I wasn't really on top of legislation or paying attention. But so they said, this is going to happen up here. And my experience in Nevada showed me that, I needed to have a hand in what was happening in Oregon or else there was going to be this kind of, you know, money, money thrown at the problem by people that aren't part of the culture. And Nevada showed me that that doesn't work. You know, Medman was there, a bunch of the Arcview and all these other people that had this preconceived idea of what regulated medicinal marijuana should look like and, and you know, translated to recreational later. And I didn't think that it was scalable or uh, had any kind of real future. You know, it needed people like us that are part of the culture to be involved. And so I came back to Oregon and got involved, and this was late 2014. I built a brand out. Uh, I uh, lobbied for the um, the 90 day window for bringing genetics in. I went around to you know every OLCC meeting there was, every you know everything that they had to let them know that if you don't approve Oregon genetics from the gray area, then you're going to have this bottleneck of genetics because I'd seen it happen in Amsterdam and other places as well. So that was my first reach out to help the industry as it was budding. And um, that's what made me realize that there was much more scalability, future, and uh, success in genetics uh, maintenance than growing, you know, perishable flower or whatever, be- being a farmer, which wasn't my cup of tea at that point. So, yeah, 2015, we launched. We were here. Um, <clears throat> we were, you know, got in on the dispensary model as quick as we could and then um, kind of rode the wave. So you were a breeder to begin with? Is yes, that true? Yes, yes. I, I, I love diversity. You know, I'm the fan of the purple potato, you know, the purple broccoli. Like, I love the idea that what we know to be uh, a phenotype, whether it's vegetables or dogs or cats or anything, I love the diversity or even people. I love the diversity in it. And being a, a Manisha species, cannabis has this unique thing where it's not super homogenized. It's not truly true. Breeding, you know, I bred, I bred pit bulls, I bred uh, lizards, I bred betta fish, I bred all kinds of things that um, have this inherent diversity in them, and so that is what really spurs my passion. Everybody loves, you know, good smoke and good bud, and that's great, you know, but something weird or unique or different is really uh, inspiring. 
Can I dig deep on that? Like, yeah. can we go back to where cannabis became part of your life and, yeah. and did it breeding intersect immediately or is that yes. something that you grew into? No, you know, well, I mean, not that I knew it, but yes, um, you know, coming up in LA or, you know, if you come up in, in the early nineties, you know, there's brickweed, you know, there was beasters. There was oh people, man, <laughs> like, I lived on it. Right. Commercial. In fact, I'm not sure what brain kits cells I killed, you know? Right, right. I, I always kind of been like, if you never smoked a brick, if you never picked like a chicken feather out of your pot, then, you know, I don't know if I could trust you. you or know? a beetle. <laughs> yeah. Like people are worried about bugs now right. when you pick little black bugs out oh, yeah. of there and stuff. Oh yeah. yeah. And you know, there were seeds that came with that too. And, right. um, you know, and, and there was varying degrees of commercial cannabis at that point too, that, you know, would either spark your interest or not. But, um, <clears throat> I always would save the seeds. I wouldn't throw them away. I just kept them. Uh, I, I thought at the time being young, I thought that, uh, the health of the seed related to the health of the flower I was smoking, you know, so you get a lot of those compressed black seeds, you know, you got some age stuff there. And then, uh, I came across, you know, like all of us, a high times, uh, in the, in the mode of being a quote unquote stoner where I saw a completely purple plant from some seed that was brought back from India and it, purple stem, purple leaves, and it blew my mind. And I, I can picture it as clear as day. And, uh, it really sparked the interest and at that point, being so close to Mexico, um, it wasn't just, you know, commercial weed. This, these were sativa, Mexican, equatorial sativas or whatever you want to call them. Sure. Uh, narrow leaf drug varieties. So um, the seed was still viable and there was still some kind of heritage in there. And so I would grow them out, <clears throat> see what happened in California and get away with a lot, especially Southern California, long growing season. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, things worked out and watching them grow is... That kind of thing, like raising a puppy or a kitten or anything, sure. right? You know, you, you you establish this connection with this organism that um, makes you want it, to foster it and you want to watch it live, survive and thrive, right? Yeah. And so um, that is what started it. And then, you know, uh, got introduced to Green Bud. Uh, you know, I actually, that worked out through being connected with the bull riding culture, which, you know, you think rodeo, but it's not, you know, bull riders are separate from the traditional rodeo culture. They're kind of like do or die sure. group of people. You know, yeah. a lot of them were surfers, skaters, um, really, you know, before extreme sports was a word, uh, you know, bull riders were nuts. And I met a crew outside of Long Beach that took me up to Napomo in Pismo beach and they show me green pot for the first time and uh they had farms in humble and this and that and you know as a i think it was 13 14 i want to say green pot green pot remember <laughs> i was, was just brown like, pot and green pot well i was reflecting on that and i think we're from the same generation yes. here because i was like green yes, pot yeah. i've heard that before yeah, yeah green pot yeah yeah <laughs> okay go ahead <laughs> so you're down south so that was that uh you know a eureka moment where i realized that there was something better uh bigger and more in depth. Uh, I went and worked a few seasons out in some gorilla grows in Humble and down in Pismo, which is outside of Santa Cruz. And I really got a feel for it. And every chance or time I could, I would gather seeds. You know, if somebody had a thing, this, that, I would get them and I'd keep them safe. Um, and I did that for on, you know, I, I really didn't start growing and breeding, like crossing males and females probably until... 1997, I would think. Um, and then 99 is when I first realized that like genetic drift through clones, uh, varieties that I'd seen before that didn't exist anymore. This started to dawn on me. So, um, I started putting more effort into, uh, you know, saving seed. 
Yeah. Yeah. So did those crosses come initially from like, you know, the bag seed and the, and the like, I mean, I'm talking, you know, me, yeah. Uh, like um, initially, you know, like, did you cross them? No, they were from, from growers, uh, okay. generational growers that had their own stock first. Yeah. And then of course, yeah. If I found a seed, you know, I would, I would put it aside. Um, cause when I was younger, I used to, you know, if I'd get a bag seed, I'd grow it out and then I'd play around with it. Sure. You know? Sure. Yeah. And, and there's value in that. I mean, sure. honestly, you know, there's, there's something to, to be I said guess. about natural selection really, honestly. I mean, I, okay. I don't want to get into that, but a lot of, you know, a lot of what we have what, comes from bag seed. I was going to say, I imagine that brown, that brown frown was probably a land race. <laughs> yeah, I know it is really. <laughs> and it looks way different than that chicken feather brick that you get, you know, for real. And that's the first aha moment. Um, you, the, the, the real, like, when I actually knew what I was doing, uh, I was at some festival, you know, whatever, hemp fest, whatever. And it was this old school cat walking, you know, you go out there, people are selling weed, glass, whatever, right? And there's this tall dude, you know, like throwback, you know, not hippie, but like 70s, like, you know, uh, brother of love kind of thing, you know, like he yeah. was hardcore. And he's screaming, does anybody know the value of seed? <laughs> and that's what he said. <laughs> and he was selling these little 25 seed bags for like, you know, 30, 40 bucks or something. Nice. And I bought like 10 of them. And uh, that was the first effort where I actually, you know, selected from a gene pool and, you know, did it. And he was, I was with only, intention. Yeah, with yeah. Yeah, intention, exactly. And so that was probably, you know, 98. And then, um, yeah, I, I ended up under, under I, I, you know, I took genetics courses in school and stuff. And, you know, you learn real quick that that gets all turned into uh, genetic ma manipulation. But um, I understood, you know, the Punnett Square, I understood genetic drift, I understood those things. And so I would get hired by, you know, on the low, uh, by commercial growers that wanted to save seed and they didn't have the time or the effort. And this is the big problem with, with cannabis and breeding is when you get into a mode of commercial production and you find every square foot has this dollar value, right? You don't, and, and time-based, you don't, they don't want to take away from it to make something that is not valuable, seed. Really, I mean, it is valuable in, in the heritage sense, but not valuable commercially. So a lot of these cats would pay me to take their stock and multiply it because I found value in that. And, uh, you know, we split it. So, you know, yeah, I, I started, I was in Eugene at that time. And then, uh, you know, working with the old school Trinity, Snowbud, a lot of these, uh, you know, varieties that were floating around off of the, the dead scene and stuff like that. And um, I will multiply seed for people. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I mean, and so if, if you're that, I mean, not if you're that good, but, but since willing. you are, right, <laughs> since you're willing and, and that good, how do you select? I, I find a lot of breeders are very right. different in selection. How do you? Right. Uh, at that time, um, they, they were selecting and I was doing the crosses. Right. Uh, when I now, and this is a, this is a developing, uh, you know, philosophy in the beginning, it was really vigor. You know, vigor is how right. I selected. You know, yeah. you want healthy plants. I was watching a lot of clone parents, you know, degrade. And so vigor mattered more than anything. And then now that we have chemotype testing, of course, there's that. Right. Okay. Uh, you know, and that's huge. I think that's driving the major force of breeding at this moment. Is, Can you explain? Is chemotyping. Well, you know, everybody that? wants numbers. You know, the customer shops by the numbers. And, sure. And, uh, and what does chemotype testing do? It, it, well, it shows, you know, you, you want to breed something that gets over 20% THC. Okay. You know, that's really what's going on there. So you're, you're talking about 
um, you know, a lot of these farmers can't sell flour that isn't above 20%. And it might be the tastiest, prettiest, you know, uh, flour in the world. But because of the market and the consumer and the stranglehold of the distribution model, um, they, you know, and unwilling, of course, but they got to, you know, they got to break even or, you know, get into black. So you see a lot of breeding by that now. Um, I think always vigor matters yeah always sure yeah. sure yeah. Um, i'm starting to wonder with all this hemp and stuff though mm -hmm. like these guys i mean are we gonna have to start uh breeding towards no no aphids right i mean you're here resistance. Well, yeah 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 it's some kind of pest resistance of sure but you know what that takes right it's oh. not just saying you know oh well this plant survived or whatever you have to start introducing pests into your breeding program right right you got to do it and so you know that's what and i've done it a few different times especially when the the russets hit you know a few years back and nobody knew what was going on i had to bring in infected clones well that's the thing is so as a breeder do you intentionally actually try to like torture yeah. your yeah. plants yeah. at certain times yes. and points yeah yes. i okay. learned from the vegetable breeders um you know we used to have this plot we call it hell's half acre where you put them out there and they don't get no help no nothing right and that tests vigor but from that lesson i learned well maybe if we introduce stressors then we can see somebody shine and the truth is is you do you do see it you know you you bring in a clone batch or you bring you know you open up a, a generation and you bring in an infected clone and distributed properly across the the space the canopy and you'll find that somebody is the last to die oh sure <laughs> you know right well i mean i can simply just <laughs> let my four by four go for a few days and i can pick the top three right <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it is survival of the fittest you know there's there's something to be said about something that to be said yeah it and really i do that with like i i clone uh, trees a lot oh okay yeah. and so when i do that actually you'll see the same thing yeah. you'll see yeah. have you ever like say taking a clone and then bred from that clone. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, you know, uh, and does that limit you? Uh, in the beginning, um, that was kind of your only option, uh, in a sense, because of the way that phenotypes, you know, cultivars are recognized by phenotype, not really by genotype. So that was a thing. Uh, these days, no, I believe in open pollination. I believe in multiple males, multiple females. Um, you can always pick a mother and we found even with clone uh, generations that phenotypical response is is broad you know if you i don't know if you've seen like the grow off or things like this where they're handing out the same clone and those flowers they could be anything they look so different and of course you know shortened flower times hydro organic whatever but still um it doesn't homogeneity in, in cannabis is only going to be good to like replace corn or like you know out out in the hundreds of thousands of acres and i get that you know that's why tomatoes that's why all of our vegetable crops aren't grown by clone they need homogenized seed stock and that's something i believe in for cannabis for real clone generational clone i mean look at the banana or anything else like that's not going that's not scalable that's not going to work and that's not going to you know uh, well, it could be denim detrimental right yes, like yes, in terms of plague, being wiped out light, yeah. yes exactly and we've seen that over and over and over again in, in our food and medicine crops so that's not an answer and i do believe in in you know a homogeneity in, in cannabis seed stock but you achieve that through open pollinations because in the end if you do like a lot of these ag cores do where they, they you know they're they're siphoning the seed stock down to this bottleneck you still kind of have a you know a clone based seed variety that gets still susceptible to plight and you see it in canola and other things like that so 
open, you know, and the, the organic seed movement is very much about this for vegetables and, and you have to take a, a cue from them. You have to, genetic diversity is key, especially in our time where most drug producing varieties come from this limited gene pool. You know, even the drug producing regions of the world, you know, Amsterdam took their stock down there for commercial reasons and this and that. So you really have to cast your net wide and then narrow down from there. You know what I mean? Sure. How mixed right now? Like I can, I can look on places like, and I hate to say this, this is a bad name, but I can look on the Philos, you know, galaxy, right? Uh, (laughs) No, I'm not going to say that, but I can look on things like that and see Mm. what they've come up with. But on the flip, how, I mean, our strains now are homogenous. You want to use that word? Like right now, things are pretty mixed up. I mean, typically, yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah. Well, genetically, I mean, you got, you know, Oft, I mean, think of how many times people make this make mistake of mistagging. Sure, sure, right, right, right. Okay, that adds probably a certain quite large percentage of mistakes that are out there. Definitely. So, I mean, when it comes to mixing the strains and all the phenos and all the seed mixing we're done now, yeah. it's not like taking a land race from, you know, way back when. Right. And is that something that breeders are going to have to go to now is to really get back to land races? I mean, I, not now. I think that, and you see, you see, you can see it in some endeavors, you know, especially the hash producing regions of the world. Um, I think that that stock P1 stock should be, um, you know, maintained and uh, curated. Of course, does it need to be integrated at this point? No. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't think that's the answer because again, you know, most, unfortunately, most commercial growers that are depending on, you know, uh, definable genetics, they're not really saying, oh, I'm losing out to bugs or this. They want more, more yield. They want more shine. They want more money. So, you know, I don't think it's necess. It's not a necessity now, uh, but it should be available just the same way that, you know, they, they, they're holding up all the vegetable seed stock from heirloom varieties around the world. Are they breeding into commercial varieties right now? Now, no, but, okay. um, you know, yeah, it will become necessary at some point. Yes, definitely, especially climate change and uh, commercial agricultural practices. Yeah, at some point it will be. Mm-hmm. With that said, then, how do you pick a good parent stock? How? What do you look for that's, you Me, know? personally? Yeah. Diversity. Yeah. Diversity. Okay. Um, I, I like things that are different, special. They sh- show up, you know. Um, if I'm being paid or hired to create something for somebody, then that's the client's, you know, prerogative. But personally, um, I, y- it's easy. You know, most of these varieties that are, are, are cultivar or, you know, whatever, um, you know, monikered, they are 50-50 hybrids of things that are as far away as possible as can be, right? So, vig- and that includes vigor. So, f- first and foremost, so you take a variety that's from some other side of the planet, a variety that's from over here, and you cross them, you're going to have something completely new. And so that's fun. Uh, we do the uh, Nepalese Kush and the Durban Poison. You know, so you have a high altitude uh, squat, uh, you know, wide drug leaf producing variety, and then you have an equatorial narrow leaf drug variety. And, and what you get out of that is amazing. Things you haven't seen before. So. Right. Well, and I've noticed that you have used Durban Poison a few times, right? It's my is personal that, favorite. I was going to say. I okay. do. I do. I have an affinity for the Durban. And it was one of those first. Now that's African, right? Yeah, South African. Uh, it was one of the first uh, varieties I got my hands on that really like 
a new taste, a new high, a new feeling, a new everything, smell, and it stuck with me. You know, everything is impressionable uh, as a grower or a breeder, and that's one of the ones that stuck with me way back when. So I, I really, really enjoy it, and I think the pharmacology of it's different, and, you know, that hasn't necessarily been backed up by testing, but the, you know, that the high of it is different. I enjoy it, and um, I, it's just not, easy to grow in these latitudes so you have to work it into other things and you know yeah it's a personal favorite for sure i'm not a I, you know I, I i don't follow the trends with with flower and cultivars that are popular i i appreciate them and i enjoy them but um it really has to stand out for me to want to uh curate it or become a steward of that variety right now durban poison isn't that a land race essentially uh essentially well you know what's funny I mean, about that durban more so than what we have than now. what we have yeah, yeah. i mean we, well, really the thing is now is in the last we're at 40 years now we have american land races i agree <laughs> you know, I because agree. of the inbreeding i mean we have we have you know so and we have f5 yeah 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 so yeah so there is plenty um it, durban is a a, a suburb of uh, in south africa it's, yeah. a, it's a township uh, po this was turned on to me uh, in the last few years from some of my friends, my, my other breeders, that poison is an African term like chronic. Oh, okay. So it means dank pot. You know, right. like it's the good shit. It's so, gonna kill you. Yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> so the poison <clears throat> was something that stood out. Uh, the poison from Durban. Now you go down there, and um, yeah, no, there is, there's, there's, there's a wide gene pool. There's a variety. You know, a lot of people that recognize Durban today, especially in the commercially available varieties, or have been created or steward to be that. But true Durban has this cinnamon kind of coffee vibe to it. Not that Jack, you know, trait that you mm -hmm. know. A lot of people mistake Durban for train rack or jack or stuff like sure. that but um no traditionally has this very spicy kind of vibe so um no it's just a geography uh you know it's the region regional regional uh, variety so is it true breeding is it you know no it, it's a land race in the sense that it comes from a geography and in that geography it's known as this and or that Right, right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Now those people are still cold, but cultivating. Yeah, 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 yeah. We reached out. We made some connections over there in Durban. I can't wait to go and check it out. And yeah, no, you can. What's their traditional way of consuming it? Do they charis it up? Do they hand keep um, it? You Do know, they with colonialism, I, mean, I think it's mostly just like white people pot smoking. You know, I mean, they honestly, have some wooden pipes over there. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna really There's weigh. No in. way they got some like. Uh, I'm not gonna weigh in on that one. There's but, no way they got some uh, ruby or float. Uh, you know, unfortunately, most of these drug and hash producing regions, uh, the Dutch came over and introduced their commercial varieties a while ago because they needed yeah. uh, reliable results. And yeah. I get that, you know, Malawi is a really hard one to come by there. Everybody talks right. about Malawi gold and, uh, you know, that's lost. You know, we've, we've got some stock. Seeds of Africa was a, a bank from back in the you know 80s that worked through Amsterdam. And there, there, there's touches of it in there. But see, that goes back to that open pollination and that wide net. Sure, maybe it was uh, cross-pollinated with some Dutch varieties or whatever, but you can dig those genes out if you take the time to create th th ideally hundreds of thousands of uh, progeny then you can dig those genes out through isolation observation and you know forward breeding and that's that's it's all possible that's the beauty of the monoecious or I mean sorry the dioecious species is that 
it, it, it's in there, you know, it's never going to just spend, send 100%. It's going to be 50, 50, 50, 50, you know, all the way down, all the way down. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to dig and you want to hunt, you can find it. You know? Well, and that gets me to this. Let's talk about the root beer float real yeah. quick. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's something I have not had a chance to grow at yet, but yeah. I've, I've had a chance to try it sure. several times. Yeah. And I know that there's a few farms that have actually started growing. And actually, I think it's gotten as far as being crossed again. Oh yeah. 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 There's, so, a, I mean, there's a lot of work with it. We, yeah. we took it to the F six, uh, so that people could Excellent. do that. I wow. mean, we, yeah. we encourage home breeding and, and seed saving, you know, with the microclimates in the rogue Valley, if you don't, you know, save your own seed or at least forward your own, uh, acclimated varieties yeah. and, you know, you're just always going to go back to the bank and I'm not here to, you know, choke people off at that point. Right. Um, uh, you know, what the honesty of it is, is like, you know, when I first came up here, we loved, you know, the Jaeger Millerville farms and their selections were fantastic. Uh, just like train wreck before. And, you know, these things got diluted and put in the hands of people that didn't steward it well. And so it becomes, you know, kind of blase to the masses. But the reality is, is there's a lot of unique genetic in there, the beautiful expressions that are different. And so our goal was to isolate those uh, unique expressions and to uh, promote them. And so, and, and then, you know, whatever the connotations are with the Jägermeister and all that too, you don't really, you know, <laughs> so we kind of took it the root beer float way, but ideally we're just building on what somebody else did uh, because it was an honor, you know, to do that. And also um, we were really impressed with what we saw and uh, I, I liked it. And that's really at the basis of what I do. If I, if I bred genetics to please the populace, I mean, you know, thinking about purple pot back in the day and now this and that, you know, and like it, 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 people are fickle. And so I'm not, well, and it turns into a fad. Yeah. Fads. Exactly. Trans fads. And yeah. I mean, you can make a lot of money for a minute. I can't chase that dragon though. No. You know? I mean, and it's then not it's my just... thing. And, and you see it. I mean, I've got, you know, not competitors, but other breeders and seed sailors, you know, they're, they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a month by just taking whatever hype clone is and feminizing or whatever and more power to them if that's what people want um i just would never be happy chasing that because you know what comes along with chasing that trend is denying what you did before because when right. something falls out of fashion right then you gotta uh and that is where um genetic bottlenecking and, that, and that's where we start to lose diversity well and i also think it almost comes down to some skill because if mm. if you're just saying okay i'm gonna take this great thing and this great thing and all you're doing is crossing your fingers on it. I mean, you can play that game all day, but if you're intentionally making certain crosses based on certain things, based on this, based on that and observing them yeah. without fads and sure. No, it does take a lot more work. Um, you know, it takes a lot, lot more work. I mean, I had to get over a long time ago, that whole, you know, ratio of, of output versus input for canopy space, because you're going to throw away a lot of what you see, you know, that's just the way it's going to be. Um, and if you, if you got a, a certain amount of money to make each month, whether from seeds or flour, you know, you're gonna have a hard time with that. Um, it, passion. That's what matters. Well, and as a breeder, I think that, I mean, man, if you want to be passionate, I mean, it takes time. It takes effort. Uh, you don't make, I, I don't see you guys making a ton of money. I mean, yeah, you can the, make those crowds. We talked about that, but first of all, you have to make a lot of seed. Yeah. 
And, and I you got to grow it. And then you got to grow it. <laughs> well, uh, luckily we have a lot of partners too that help okay, us with that. Yeah. Okay. You and, know, and uh, yeah, you got canopy space helps. I see. A lot of these farmers that, that you know, clones, clones are, are destroying people's, uh, you know, uh, market. They're just, you know, what if something happens? So a lot of the farmers that depend on solid seed stock will grow them out for us. And uh, with no real feedback or, or nothing comes back to me, just observation. And that goes a long way, letting me see what happens and what goes and, and trying to get them what they asked for and that kind of thing. Um, there is, you know, I mean, it's, I think comparatively for input and output, seed making is valuable in that the biomass versus the profit is, is, is denser, you know, like a new economic density uh, versus growing perishable flour. So, you know, a pound of seed is a hell of a lot of seeds. Right. And, um, you know, if there's 50 seeds in a gram and you're selling for a dollar wholesale, then you're getting more than the perishable flour is. So there is market in that, but who are you selling them to? Your home grower only needs a few. They pick a mother so far, you know, uh, whatever they do. Commercial growers need more and it's this new market comes, you know, we want to have millions of seeds available for them. You know, corn farmers, tomato farmers, soy farmers, dairy farmers, people that are losing out by being beat down by commercial agriculture. Yeah. So uh, that's our long game. So we'll yeah. be profitable in the end. Sure. Uh -huh. And the dedication, to, and that goes back to why I got into this, the dedication to the industry through true stewardship has to have forward thinking. And that's not going to always pay off immediately. Yeah, absolutely. Now, here's a deal. I think there's a lot of home growers and like uh, uh, even small farms uh, that live off seed. Yeah. And I so I think the good quality breeders are valuable, not only for like these this bigger market, but also for the home market. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, and I encourage them to make their own seed after a while. So I probably shouldn't see them after a few seasons. I see, right? right. I mean, so yeah, I encourage them and, the, and you're right. But are, is that a target market? No, I mean, it is, but not a sustainable one because I would hope that eventually they're going to breed out their own localized, you know, homegrown varieties, interesting. either from me or from whatever else. I encourage that. Yeah. Interesting. That's, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. So when someone buys a pack, it's okay to, Oh yeah. Yeah. Get down. Down, you know, make it down on move the root it forward. Beer, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna make the vanilla cream exactly. root beer See? cherry float. That's what's <laughs> up, and that's the beauty of it. Exactly, and that's what we all should be doing. Um, you know, to 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 a point. You know, a lot of some people will do that and then start a seed company, and they're not doing anybody any favors, of course. But it's more often than not that it's a good home grower with a microclimate that needs reliable stock that they're making based on observations. Did you ever run into that black cherry soda that you asked me about? Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah, did you? Yeah, I did. I did. I did. I did. Yes. So you're working with that? Uh, no, no. I just, I saw it and I, <laughs> and I did. I, it is what it is. If I went down every single tangent that I enjoyed, you know, I would be, you'd you know, be broke. Really? A real, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> and I wouldn't be creating reliable stock. I mean, yeah. I, I, when you begin, every breeder should really only have like four or five varieties that they work with yeah. because it's just not tenable. You got to go back to generations, you know, all this, these people that have, um, and if you really look at it, you know, they got a hundred things on there but there's one male <laughs> you know what I mean it's always this 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 is this crossed with X you know so but if you really want to see something flourish develop and become stable you can't juggle more than five or six varieties so we rarely have more than you know seven things that we offer and I just want to mention since we got a few people live here I just want to mention that uh, if anybody has questions I think we can fit them in sure. as we're going yeah yeah so yeah let us know yeah. on IG there I know you guys can hear uh, let us know. 
Uh, and also too, before we're done, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna give something away before we quit this cool. live. So, right on. Yeah. Uh, if anybody's listening, if you hang on to the end, uh, might get some. You might. We'll see <laughs> what happens. Capital N. All right. So <laughs> so let's move forward um, with the with the uh, root beer float. Yeah. I noticed that it was. It looked, it just had that multicolor. Yeah. Yeah. It's like purple, pink, yeah, yeah. green. It was gorgeous. Yeah. And it had that creamy, creamy. Yeah. Well, we dug into the Jaeger genetics and through back crossing, we find that, you know, and this is just because of the fast from before the purple phenotypes and green phenotypes, they'll mix, but they also segregate. Uh, and one of the lessons we learned from that is that purple can, and a lot of girls will know this purple cannabis, uh, has, might have higher terps, but lower, uh, THC levels. Usually. And that seems to be, I'm glad you mentioned that mm -hmm. because that seems to be what people notice, Yeah, which is unfortunate because it makes me feel like when I'm growing purple strain, there's a lot of beautiful strains, Yeah, but then you get them down, cut, cured, um, it turns into something else. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, at that point, um, you're just, it's like you said, mm. tasteful, looks good, sure. but it's lacking. Yeah. And I think that that's, Do you think we can bump that up, over uh, time? you know, incrementally for sure. But, uh, as part of the same gene pool, I think that the green phenotype is always going to test stronger. I've seen that across yeah. the board. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Something about that. It's crazy. I don't know if, you know, the, uh, beta carotenes or whatever take away, I, you know, that's a pharmacology thing that it's very interesting, but you know, I just. Don't. Well, it's unfortunate because sometimes I think what I grow is prettier when it's growing. I think there is a diminishing ratio of return on all yeah. that. You know, then I've, when it's done, you're like, wow, it was so amazing. And now it's... Well, that's the problem with a lot of those powerful strains, too. There is a diminishing ratio of return on flavor, um, excuse me, taste, uh, things like that, that um, you reach a precipice and everything after that, you sure you can get more power, but you might just go smoke some concentrate then, you know? If you really just want to get smacked upside the head. You know. <laughs> well, let's talk about that now. Do you consume cannabis? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I love flour. Is medicine? Uh, of course. Yeah, it's all medicinal. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, well, like we say, rec is medicinal. Yeah, yeah. I was just curious, like, if you have an intent, like, I take edibles for uh, arthritis. Sure. Um, so do you have intent with use, or do you just like to get high? Um, at this point, you know, being, uh, I've spent more time inside the confines of the drug war than I have in regulated industry, and so anxiety, stress. PTSD, uh, which are side effects of being a frontline drug war veteran. Um, sure, of course, it's not like combat veterans. I would never take that away from them. But, you know, you spend a lot of time worrying about getting that door kicked off and the dog getting shot and all that stuff. So, yeah, I use it to forget sure about sure. that and to lower anxiety and stress levels from things like that yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely now have you ever tried any other psychoactives oh sure yeah of course yeah i'm a cosmonaut yeah. do you <laughs> so do you find that that helps like certain situations too um again you know it goes back to that diversity thing i find this yeah. the, the plant world is so varied okay in its expression of genotype and pharmacology and all that i find more interest in the fact that it's doing that i, I definitely believe there's a symbiotic relationship between plants and humans and so the idea that they would go out of their way to make something cool like that for us or back and forth it create it stimulates us to cultivate them uh that engagement uh feeds my soul more than any you know topical medicinal value so, i see mm -hmm. 
like I said earlier, when I was talking to you, that, that incorporates a lot of your medicine cabinet, really. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, and then when yeah. you have to go outside that. Then sure. I mean, the first often. drug we take is sugar, you know, and then we move to caffeine and then we move to nicotine. You know, it's like. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. I mean. And then we never let stim- go of sugar. Nope. We're a stimulant culture, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I think that cannabis makes those connections inside your mind and, and your body that allows you to understand that um, you do have this symbiotic slash parasitic relationship with. <laughs> With those things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, like it's, it's, it's interesting. And, and then, you know, cannabis and both like mushrooms are both bioremetics. Sure. So, yeah. I mean, they're cleaning up the ground for us. Exactly. Cleaning up our minds and souls and yeah, the ground. It's a, it's a win-win, uh, definitely, especially versus, you know, the pulp issue and all these other things. Yeah, no, cannabis, you know, it's without sounding, you know, cliche, it really is that thing. It's, it's you know, f- food, fuel, fiber, medicine, you know, it is. And uh, that's been beaten upside the head of, of the choir. But the truth is, is that... Yeah, I mean, it will supplant the petroleum issue. It will, uh, you know, pharmaceutical company. It will, it will. And I think that that necessity breeds innovation. I think that's why we're here now that we've run out of options. And even the worst anti-warriors are willing to say, well, fuck, we need something, right? Yeah. Now, I hate to sidetrack, but we really need to talk about this, is that you are involved with a program, essentially, with seeds and and the system going on now, you want to talk about that? We talked uh, about it earlier. Oh, for the here in the industry? Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. So our, our latest project. Thank you. Yeah. Our latest project is um, making the seed to sale process available to the consumer and the observer. So we're doing this project with uh, Oregon Leaf, great magazine, and uh, Urban Farms, a local op here, and then the Sweet Life uh, Distribution, who is is a sister uh, project to Urban Farms, and so. They, Oregon Leaf is going to showcase our genetics from the seed out of the pack to the farmer, grown in the soil, brought to fruition, harvested, trimmed, sent to market in edible, smokable, concentrate, all that. And then all the way down to the end consumer, the, the final person that buys it from the retail. So you have, you know, the breeder, seed producer here. The farmer, the grower, um, the wholesaler, the retailer, and then finally the end user. And uh, they're going to track that over multiple issues uh, coming up this spring. And uh, it's really, it's a really comprehensive project. I, I was I was very lucky and fortunate to be brought in on that. Let's talk about how that's going to benefit things. Um, I think it just really opens. You know, a lot of people just everybody's got their own interests, right? Whether you're the bud tender or the manage, intake manager, or whatever. I think for the end user, it really opens it up to why it takes so long. You see a picture of a flower in the field and why it takes long to get to your, you know, whatever product that you're using, uh, that, and then hopefully it'll create some kind of sympathy or empathy for the people along that chain, you know, so they start realizing we're all in this together from the beginning to the end and then, and the product life cycle, you know, seeing how long it takes to get there. So I think that all those things are very interesting and and what gets in the way, whether it's, you know, testing results, this, that, blah, 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 you know, now we've talked about different I mean, you've been different places. You've been to, you know, Nevada and Colorado and places yeah. like that. And so are you going like, as things progress, are you going to expand if you can into yeah. other markets like yeah, that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we come from California and uh, we'll definitely get back into that. I mean, we want to see interstate sales. I mean, we definitely believe in that. So we're, we're, we're trying not to cre- create the, the industry. We're trying to cultivate it. So what comes at us, we respond to. What we can affect, we do. Um, but anybody who's got any preconceived notion is going to be let down. So you kind of got to just pivot. That's really the name of the game. Well, absolutely. Well, and adapt. Jesus. Yeah, man. right. I mean, but you have to. If you're not, you're going to be disappointed. And a lot of people are just butthurt about this, that, or the other thing. And, you know, what, what else can we do? Would you rather be in jail? 
All right, now you are quite the influential influential breeder mm-hmm. in Oregon, Thank and you. we really appreciate you being part of the Oregon culture and the real cannabis culture from Oregon. And you are there, brother. So we appreciate this. You know, I really appreciate you saying that, and um, I wouldn't be anything without people like you to feed it back and go back and forth between us because. Um, you can work all day long and not be recognized or be overly recognized, but it really takes reciprocity. Absolutely. And I appreciate that from you. Well, like I said, we got love for good people. So let's talk about how we can find your gear, how we yes. can get, I want to even know, I'm going to dig deep on this one and, and can people, uh, in a way contact you? Yes. Yes, of course. Um, you know, we have the website hermeticgenetics.com, uh, the Instagram at, at hermeticgenetics. Uh, you can call me, the, the business line goes directly to my work phone. Nine times out of 10, I pick up. If you have a question, if you have a problem, you know, I'm very hands-on. Uh, if you want to find seed stock, if it's not at your local dispensary that you favor, ask them to carry it. Uh, here and we're lo- talking Oregon. Yeah, Oregon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, yeah. I mean, we yeah. got a lot of people that listen. So, mm-hmm. get to Oregon. If you want this seed, you can come straight here and you can buy it here. Right, right. Um, we do partner with other people outside of the state, but because this is an Oregon endeavor, we'll keep it real. Uh, in Southern Oregon, you know, you definitely want to go down to Talent Health Club. Uh, there are, you know, they've, they've supported us since day one. Uh, if you're in Bend, you want to go to Substance Market. Uh, if you're anywhere else, we probably should be at your neighborhood dispensary. Uh, we work with Highly Distributed as a distributor, work with The Sweet Life. Um, we, we are available. Uh, if you're a medical patient, um, you know, you can contact me directly and we can work out something for you. Um, yeah, there really shouldn't be a reason why you can't get our stock. That's amazing. And uh, in the future, we're going to be uh, growing some of this stock. We've been wanting to grow for <laughs> a while on the stock, and we will. And when we do, we're going to make sure everybody knows exactly you know, how good it is and how medicinal it is. What's your right. feedback on that main, on the Ruby or Float? Is, I mean, you were saying it was a, a sativa. Uh, it, it's no, it's a, it's it, a 60, 40. 60, okay, yeah, 60, 40. Yeah. I mean, Wait a second. Let me yeah. ask about that. How do you decide a 60, 40? Okay. I want to know the math. <laughs> that, I'm an engineer. So what I mean when I say that is, um, you know, there is no pure indica and sativa. That means indica dominant. Okay. Right. So I just throw. So that's that, the default. I'm throwing number. that out yeah. there. Yeah. So if it gets above be... 50 one way or the other, it's sativa dominant and indica dominant. And you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, nomenclature issues going on right now. We we try to subscribe to Robert Carl Clark's version of the wide leaf drug varieties, narrow leaf drug varieties, fiber varieties, and stuff. We we really get that at this point, the indica sativa Afghanica thing is kind of antiquated. I understand that, um, but it is a marker and a launch point so we do reference that uh, we're not you know we're not married to it but we do reference that as a point because there are connotations that go along with that elongation of stem flower cluster finishing time you know high is always going to be subjective so we won't go that far but truth be told you know you know what you're getting into there are squat lower earlier flowering wide leaf varieties and there are lanky tall wide branching thin leaf varieties and these things Things do exist, and there is a spectrum between the two. And so, you know, we divert to um, that idea. We don't, you know, swear by it like your leafly style of purple, green, you know, orange or whatever. But um, 
there is there is some truth in it. There is some reality there. And if we don't honor or at least recognize where we started, what we came from, what we worked with, then anything's up for grabs. You know, I'm not we're not you, you we're not going to recreate. And, and I will be honest, as an academic, this whole uh, taxonomy issue is really just people trying to cut their bones. You know, somebody wants to be the next big cannabis botanist and they're wrapped up in some kind of PhD or whatever. And more power to them. Fine. But that's not going to make me be right or wrong. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, <clears throat> sure. So go ahead, you know, go but forward. But um, just the same way that we got here, if we don't start realizing uh, what our history uh, and where we came from for good or bad, then our future will be in jeopardy. Right. Well said. <laughs> I'm going to mark that for the quote of the day. There you go. <laughs> it's the truth. It's the truth. And it, culturally, you know, genetically, uh, economically, uh, we really do need to just maybe take the ego out a little bit and realize that um, we are stewards of an organism that is bigger than us and is uh, helpful to us. And if we don't approach it with some humility, uh, then it will be taken from us and it will go to this big corporate scare that everybody's afraid of, or, you know, uh, uh, commercial agriculture will take it from you. So we need to just uh, step back and be a little bit more humble with this plant. Absolutely. And you hear it, you hear it first with uh, hermetic genetics, man. Good love. Yeah. I appreciate it, yeah, man. No, we appreciate you. you being here. I appreciate you. Thank you very much. Please hit us up on the website, Instagram, everybody go ahead and uh, hit me up anytime you want. Call me. I'm here. I'm Higher Peaks and you've just listened to The Dirt Show. If you like this episode, please like, share, comment, and go to organrooted.com where you can subscribe to us on your favorite platform like iTunes, Pandora, or Spotify. Also check us out on our YouTube for videos and IG, Facebook, and Twitter for all our updates. Thank you for listening.